Good evening, everyone. We'll see how many folks we get this evening. It's kind of a rainy day here in Indiana. Maybe we'll get some, some guests on this evening. Tonight is just yours truly. So if we've got, uh, if we've got questions out there, let's, uh, you know, let's get started on them. I've got, I've already got uh, a couple questions from Instagram today. So, um, we can get started. I guess I got to do, um, I got to do what I ask every guest and, th and that is Rick, what's on your mind? So, ah, what's on my mind? Um, just, you know, there's just a lot of turmoil in the United States or in the world right now. And it's just, it, what, 16 inches of snow dropped in central North Dakota. Holy cow. Hi, Deanna. How you doing? That seems early. Maybe not. I don't know. You can tell us here in a minute. Um, but, you know, there's just so much uh, going on in in the world right now. And let's just keep everyone in our prayers. And, and just, you know, everyone just needs to take a deep breath and, and let's relax and try to get some things figured out. So everyone just, you know, stay calm and be safe. It's harvest time. Harvest may be done for some folks or getting done. Um, looks like Deanna, my gosh, 16 inches of snow. Um, uh, that's, that's nuts. Deanna, are you, uh, are you done harvesting up there? See if Deanna comes right back here with that. Uh, we are, we are, we are done. Very good. That's awesome. I'm glad. Congratulations. All right. Giddy up. Let's go. Let's do a little Q&A tonight. I don't know who knows where, what direction this will go. It can go anywhere. So uh, Deanna's already told us that 16 inches of snow has dropped in, in North Dakota. Which that's awesome though. I mean, that snow's beautiful moisture. It goes in slow and easy and you get it all. So yeah, I'm sure you're glad to have some snow. I mean, I know the season's starting early, but I know you're glad to have it. Uh, Riley, in the past you have mentioned struggling with foxtail. Yeah. What strategies have you been implementing to combat that? Have they been successful? Let's stop right there. Foxtail is a problem and we are, in some instances we're gaining ground on it and in other instances we're not so um riley some of the things we've done which which really the the two things we've done the most of are change the rotations a little bit so uh, add wheat add more wheat into the rotation so that those fields come mature in july versus uh august or i mean versus september or october and then try to get a head start on, on getting a cover crop out there to smother the foxtail. We've done that. And honestly, the best fields that I can see for foxtail issues are these fields that we have soybeans in that we plant right into our maslin. Now, if anyone has not been following me, you have to look that up, maslin, M-A-S-L-I-N. It's a mixture of the cereal grains is what we're trying to do now. And what we're doing is on a lot of our, almost all of our beans now, 
we we are not rolling we are letting the two the maslin and the soybeans grow together and we're actually seeing pretty good um su not suppression but uh, mitigation of foxtail and if we do get any foxtail it's coming way late in the season so riley those are kind of the things we're doing right now and there is um there is some biologicals coming on online now um bio biochemistry I, I don't like that term biochemistry because it, it sounds like it's not natural but it's uh it's weed killers that are that are derived basically from essential oils uh and i think what we're going to do and there's a couple that are out there omri approved for for our organic operation but i would highly recommend if you're not organic or even if you are it doesn't matter I would research these products, verify that they're not going to be harmful. Matter of fact, I've talked to a couple folks that I trust, John Kempf being one of them, and John has told me that, look, Rick, you're probably putting biology into the ground through these biochemicals. So what I'm thinking about doing is harvesting the wheat off this summer or the maslin. I got to stop saying wheat harvest the maslin off, and then we may come in with one of these OMRI-approved products and spray and see if we can't start killing some of the perennial things that we're, we're getting. I mean, we're, we're getting um, um, fescue now, and we've got chicory, and we've got, a, we've got several perennials, Canada thistle. So I think... I think what we're going to have to do, because I don't want to do tillage, I think what we're going to have to do is maybe spray some of these biochemistries that, again, they're not going to be harmful to humans, they're not going to be harmful to the environment, they're not going to be harmful to the biology, and uh, see if we can't push the reset button that way. So that's kind of what, I know it was a long-winded answer there, but that's kind of what we're, we're working on. And, you know, I want to go back. Let's just stay right there a little bit longer, Riley. Um, <clears throat> everyone tells me that foxtail is compaction and calcium problems. Okay, I just I just can't buy it. I mean, I don't think it's that way every single time. Uh, for example, I had a meeting this week with biome makers, and if you guys don't know who they are. They're doing great things. They've got, they're, they're mapping this genetic biome for us. They're coming up with uh, uh, new species of, of biology all the time. And I did a really extensive test this spring. We took, um, we took core samples, but I did every inch increment. So, you know, however many sand, however big, how much, however much soil you got to put in a bag. That's how, you know, we took 20 probes and took just the top inch off and put it in the bag. Took the, the next inch down, put it in the two inch bag. Took the three inch into the three inch bag, so on and so on from zero to six. And then we pulled a, a zero to six sample and didn't, didn't separate and pulled a six to 12 and didn't separate. Okay, this was an expensive test. We did everything under the sun. We did, uh, we did Haney tests, we did Solvita, we did PLFA, we did 
um, CO2 burst, and we did biomakers. And in all of this plethora of information, there was no compaction. We were extremely aerobic for 12 inches deep. And the nutrient levels that came back from the Haney test showed that everything is within normal, normal parameters. So I think, I still think Foxtail goes back to progression. We, when you leave the chemical environment and go to no chemistry, no fertilizer, broadleaf weeds come first, then grasses come second, and then shrubs and trees. I think we're at the tail end of the grass. I really do. And I think with everything I just described and the, and the end of progression coming, I think we will eventually work our way out of the foxtail. Now, if we are in a situation where we have good cover crops and can make good suppression of the weeds, we don't have very many broadleaf weeds. It's the late foxtail. Thanks for asking the question, Riley. I was gonna talk about it, but you beat me to it. Thank you. Could you describe your current crop rotation and talk about how it is changing or how, how, it, how it has changed since going organic? Yeah, it's changed a little bit. Um, we're, we've got a lot more cereal grains into the mix right now. And we've got buckwheat in uh, we've got milo, we've got corn, soybeans, alfalfa, cattle, sheep. Um, I don't really go through a rotation because I'll do a little bit because it, it can splinter off and go in so many directions. But I'll just give you an example. I, for a long time, again, if you follow me, you, you know that we dabble with planting corn into alfalfa. This is very hard. Very, very hard. And it, it, you have to have rain to make this, to make this work. So the, it's, it's just hard, okay? There's so many factors, you need water. And the way we're doing alfalfa is it, it's going to a, a dairy. So there's a lot of compaction involved. You've got semis out in the field. I mean, it's just not good. It's not good. So what I'm gonna start to do, and we started doing this this fall, we're gonna come with wheat behind the alfalfa. Now, I said a minute ago, I need to stop saying wheat and I need to say maslin, but this time I do mean wheat. And what I mean here is food grade wheat. I don't get an opportunity to plant food grade anything very often because of the volunteer, like volunteer cereal rye. We've got it everywhere on the farm. But if you're coming out of a, of, a, of a field that's been an alfalfa for two years, take you know either four or five cuts per year for two years, there's no volunteer alfalfa. Let matter of fact, there's no weeds. So these are the cleanest fields we have. We don't put anything on them. We're gonna come behind alfalfa with food grade wheat and try to take advantage of a 15 16 17 dollar a bushel market on food grade wheat for human consumption then after the wheat i may go back to soybeans and then 
go out of soybeans into wheat again, but now this will be the maslin, because when we go soybeans, we'll have a massive, uh, we'll take that wheat off. So two years of alfalfa, food grade wheat, harvested that wheat the next summer, come into that with a massive cocktail of annuals only and probably only species that will winter kill. Because I, all I want left is cereal rye for the next year for the soybeans. So, you know, cow peas, sorghum sudan, uh, oats, radish, things like that uh, will go in, sunflower, sun hemp, that stuff will go into this mix with about 100 pounds of cereal rye and then just let that thing eat all year long, come out into the spring and, and you've got your rye and then we'll plant soybeans into that, harvest the, the beans off, go to uh, a maslin then, harvest that maslin, and then, now we're two years out, now we'll go into a massive legume cover crop to get ready for corn or milo the next year. Then we may go, it depends, we may go uh, back to a wheat one more time or maslin one more time then go to buckwheat or go back to alfalfa so that's kind of what one path would look like but there are many variations that we could put in there and if these biochemicals for lack of a better term if they work then what we're going to do is after the last cutting of alfalfa we'll plant our, our, our food grade wheat and then two or three days later we'll, we'll spray a, a biochemical and terminate the alfalfa and the alfalfa's gone and now it's going to release and, and, and you've got a perfectly clean field for this beautiful wheat to come in next spring. You got all kinds of nutrients for that wheat to suck out of the profile and thrive and there's no tillage involved. There's one pass of a biochemical and that's it, that, that's it. So this is low maintenance, low cost, low everything. That's what we're headed toward. What was your farm's biggest success in 23 and what was the biggest unexpected outcome? So you do, you do fall because you know I don't say failures, thank you. Um, biggest success in 23 would be um, well, I, I felt like it was going to be a dry early spring and, and we got lucky on that one and, and we guessed right. And we had an opportunity to plant some beans early and we went ahead and, and went for it while we still had moisture. And I, that looks like that's going to pay off. Now, those are our weediest fields though. And there's a reason why I've explained this before. But we went in when the cover crop was only about six or seven inches tall because we're talking this was like April the, the 18th or something or 20th. This was early for us, but our conditions were perfect. We had the weather and there was a dry, a dry uh, wave coming. So we went ahead and, and the beans pretty much outgrew the cover crop that we had and we didn't get a very good weed suppression and those two fields have had some common ragweed not very much 
foxtail, but they have had some common ragweed because I didn't wait for the cover crop to give us the suppression that we needed for the weeds, the armor, the, the mulch, the thatch, the, the biomass that we're laying out, whatever you want to call it. Um, unexpected outcome would be um, we planted quite a bit of buckwheat this year and we had an extremely odd growing season. We had a really dry up front, which I just described. We had a beautiful middle and we had a very poor ending. And the buckwheat, we had beautiful buckwheat. It, it came up, it was, it put on blooms, it put on flowers. It was beautiful, 500 acres of this stuff. It was gorgeous. Then the rain shut off and here comes the foxtail and it just absolutely crushed the buckwheat. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting buckwheat harvested, but it's about a third of the yield that it should be. We just absolutely got crushed because our ending to the growing season was horrific. Um, you know, an inch in the last six weeks, and that's right when your biggest heat of the, heat of the summer's on. So we really, uh, we really got hurt there. So Riley, thank you for the questions. Great questions. That's what I want. That's what I want to do with this when we do these Q and A's. Thank you so much. Um, all of Deanna's equipment is washed and put away. You couldn't. You, it's time to go to Florida, Deanna. I know you don't do that, but uh, but yeah, that's awesome. Okay, uh, Rachel's giving us a question here from Instagram. Um, I did Elbon rye and soybeans first year transition, and now I have a bunch of volunteer rye after harvest. Can I do the same thing for transition year two and use the existing volunteer rye? You better believe it. You just cheapened up the amount of rye you need to put out. Now, I probably wouldn't bank on just that volunteer rye being enough, but I would probably cut your rate you were gonna put out there in half. We've done this many times. Um, when we go out to harvest these, uh, these maslins and the soybeans together, we're going to have 30, 35 bushel maslin coming in with 35, 40 bushel beans. And there's a lot of this maslin or cereal rye, whatever the case may be, that goes out the back end of the combine and we just spread it. So yes, you can definitely count on that being there. Even though it's on top of the ground, it won't matter. There'll be enough rains. It'll ha it only has to vernalize one time and uh, you'll be good to go. Great question. Um, that That is from, I think it's, uh, is that Justin? Is that who that was from, Rachel? Let me look here. Uh, no, James Tucker. James, thank you for the Instagram question. That was number one. Question number two. Could I frost seed a clover cocktail into the rye and try some no-till transition corn instead? Or is that too risky if I am just trying to get through transition? Yeah, I wouldn't do that in transition. I would stay with your plan and, and go with beans. But that is a good idea though. If you're getting late in the season when the beans are gonna come off and you miss your opportunity for, for uh, hairy vetch or clover then I would come back in and frost seed it yes we've done this many times and it works uh, probably the vetch is more successful than the clover 
in in frost seeding. But uh, great questions, and I hope that answered enough. But but I would stay away from corn in the transition. I would try to set up your transition so that your first year of certification is a corn crop. So you're gonna to wanna to do that the next year. All right, um, next week, Rachel's taking care of me here. Next week, we are going to have Biome Makers on, and that's biomemakers.com. It's a, it's a very intriguing company. We're gonna go deep, deep in with them. We're actually gonna talk about uh, this testing that, that, that we did on the farm here. They've got the results. Uh, it looks absolutely fascinating to me, and it is proving that what we're doing here is working. Everything that they showed me today is like, yep, that's, that's why we're doing this. We've got aggregate stability that's 10 or 12 inches deep now. I mean, that, is, that aggregate stability, if you can stay, if you can keep the tillage off your fields, it is amazing what happens after years four, five, and six. And when you're into this system, I mean, it just becomes geometric. I mean, we were, we were stalled out at two inches for a long time. Then we jumped to five and then we went to seven and now we're about 12 now. So it's just insane what you can do uh, to your soil out here when you, when, you, when you take care of it. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, Joe, I apologize, I cannot see your last name, that's okay. Uh, alfalfa seems to have a resistance to some actual chemicals. How do you experience, or have you experienced good results using biochemicals to control it? What are you using and how much? All right, Joe, great, great question. Um, no, we've not had good success yet, but we are, we're, we're going to up the rate now. I say that, but then I, let me back up. I think, okay, the first time we tried this guy's product, it was, it was the wrong rate, okay? He admitted, he told me wrong. He said, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I said that. It's the wrong rate. You need to be at 6% six, six solution, okay? The way these, these biochemicals work, it's not like Roundup where you put on 28 ounces per acre. It's not like that. It's, it's percent solution of mix so if you put on 20 gallon to the acre six percent of 20 gallon is 1.2 gallons so you got to put on 1.2 gallons of this product if you put on 40 gallons of an acre of water you need to put on um whatever uh six times you got to put on 2.4 gallons so it's six percent of the solution all right, here's the product. It's called Perish, P-E-R-I-S-H. And it is, let me look it up because I know everyone's gonna, they're gonna wanna know. Let me always forget the name here. Um, it is from, whoops, let me go over here. Um, It is from a company called AgroBio USA, A-G-R-O, second word, B-I-O, and then USA, AgroBio USA. Rachel's got it in the chat. Okay, 
this product is extracted thyme oil and we sprayed it at the wrong rate and the alfalfa just laughed at it did nothing okay then we came back and sprayed it with a six percent solution about four weeks ago and i'm telling you i think it's starting to fold it's taken a long time but you know what if we do this in the fall then think about we've weakened the, the alfalfa now buckled it at its knees going into winter it may winter kill now so uh, I was going to spray it again and he suggested an even higher rate because we're still trying to he's still trying to figure out what the rate is really going to be and alfalfa is a burger to kill as most people know this is hard hard to kill so six ounces or i'm sorry six percent solution sprayed on alfalfa four weeks ago and the alfalfa was one week regrowth after the last cutting of the season so it was about five inches tall and it had two or three uh, uh trifoliates of leaves out so it had plenty of leaf surface to get the spray on we sprayed it 20 gallon to the acre six percent solution so 1.2 gallons of the parish into whatever the math is 18.8 gallons of water to make a 20 gallon solution and then we sprayed it right over the top of the of the uh, alfalfa and before we sprayed um i let's see we planted uh wheat right after the the last cutting waited five days because i didn't want the wheat out of the ground and then the the alfalfa was where i said it was five inches tall had some trifoliates out and we sprayed it with the parish and i'm telling you it's starting to look a little a little dumpy right now it's getting a little a little wimpy uh it's not that nice bright green that you you see alfalfa hey we might have got it this time so we'll see i'll have more on this next year go to their website they've got a lot of products they're not all Omri approved, but most are. Uh, this is just one guy that I'm working with. There's other people out there, but this is just the one guy that I'm working with, okay? So check them out. Uh, Kevin, can you talk about how you use peas either in the spring or fall to make nitrogen? Yeah, great question. Okay, um, I made a, I had a, I had a Q&A session about, uh, I don't know, four, three months ago, I suppose. It was in the middle of summer. And I made, I made a huge blunder. And I talked about it on that episode. And I'm going to talk about it here to answer your question. So what, what I like to do is we've had very good success with Grassland Oregon's Survivor Pea. And you want to plant them before the ground freezes. I like waiting later in the fall. Some people would have already had them planted by now. I like to wait a little closer to Thanksgiving. Now, here's where I blundered this year. We had a beautiful, it, it, it worked flawless. It did exactly what I wanted it to do. We're trying to control or not control, I can't say that word. It's, we're trying to suppress 
Canada thistle in a field. And we did some light tillage on this field. This is one of those fields I cried on two years ago because I've already talked about this too, but I'm just, I'm just skimming over this real quick. Did some light tillage, didn't do a thing to the Canada thistle, not one thing. So then we came in with a really heavy wheat crop and it was beautiful. And then we planted peas in December. And I wanted those two to grow together. This was after buckwheat, okay? We harvested off buckwheat. We had a Canada thistle problem. We did light tillage, and then we planted the wheat. And then uh, December the 5th, I think it was, we planted Grassland Oregon Survivor Peas. Rachel's got them right there in the, in the chat, okay? Now, this is where I blundered. This was beautiful this spring, absolutely beautiful wheat. The peas were thriving. And I'm telling you right now, if you're ever gonna raise peas for production, I would always plant them with the cereal grain because here's why. Cereal grains are tremendous sequesters of nitrogen. And as that pea is fixing the nitrogen from the atmosphere, that, that cereal grain is taking some of that nitrogen, which forces the pea to work even harder and it will produce even more nitrogen so now you've got a a legume that's fixed 80 to 100 pounds of nitrogen and you've got a cereal grain that has sequestered some of that nitrogen when you terminate both of them together they're gonna the 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 pea nitrogen will be available very quickly not all of it but half of it will be available very quickly. The other half will come later, and then whatever's in the cereal grain will release in August and September to give you that last push to get to the finish line, okay? Now, the blunder I made was, I was told that, and this was gonna be a Milo field, okay? But then I was told that if I'm gonna plant, or if I have a buckwheat field in the mix, I have to put Milo in with buckwheat because those two thrive on each other. So I'm thinking, okay, let's just plan on doing that. So we're gonna roll down this beautiful wheat crop in the peas and we're gonna plant Milo. And I lost it all. The, the, we got into five weeks of no rain. The Milo came up, germinated and died. And, I and this is the blunder that I made and I still kick myself because I can't believe I did this. I had a sure thing in my hand with a nice wheat crop and a beautiful pea crop coming and I terminated them all and I lost everything and I didn't get a Milo crop either. So I was 0 for 3. I'll never do that again. But that's one way that we use peas. Okay, so that would be peas with wheat. Now let's say that you were trying to do corn. I probably would still put out maybe 20 to 30 pounds of a cereal grain with the peas, not very much, just enough to kind of hold the peas up and keep them there. And then when you come in next spring, you can easily terminate just 20 pounds of rye. It's not gonna be a big deal. There won't be much of a sequestration problem. It, there, there'll be very little of an allopathic effect, and that'll be a way for you to get peas 
to grow and see. So let's say, I don't know where you're from, um, Kevin, but let, I think it was Kevin or, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where you're from, but if you're from a northern state, the reason why I like the peas um, is it gives you another 45 days of time. All you got to do is get these things in the ground before the freezes or in, in Deanna's case, before you get 16 inches of snow. Okay. So you've got all kinds of, or not all kinds of time, but you've got more time. You've got more time than you had otherwise. Okay. So that's why I really like cold tolerant peas. Now the spring peas, plant them the same day you plant corn and let them grow together. I decided to plant the peas five days ahead of the corn. Big mistake. Do not do that. The pea, believe it or not, the peas outgrew the corn at the very early stages of its life, and it really stunted that corn. It really set it back. So no more than two days max peas before corn. No more than two. I'm going to now do them same day. Well, maybe day before because the drill's 40 feet wide and it's it's slower. The planter's 60 feet wide. It'll just be, the planter will just be gobbling up the drill all day long across that field. So maybe one day, let the drill come in, let him have the field all by himself. And then the next day, bring the planter in and plant corn right through it all. So that's what, that's what we're doing with peas. Great question. I like peas. Um, I, I, I just, I like them. They've never let us down. I just lost my brain and and didn't. I had you know the old saying a a, a a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Well, I just blew it. Won't do it again. Don't worry. I will not do that again. And hopefully the people that are that are here that are learning from me won't do it again either. Hey John, how you doing? John Hume, how you doing? What nitrogen fixers is it? Is it not too late to plant before corn in West Central Indiana? Well, John, I just talked about it. I, I you can't do you can't do much of anything. It's too late. Next week we're getting into the twenties. Okay, that's okay. Let that happen. It's going to thaw back out. I'd get your peas lined up and get them in the ground after this freeze event. And and folks, I bury these things. I'm talking. Uh, two and a half to three inches. I sock them down there. Um, Grassland Oregon has called me and said, Rick, what are you doing? Why are you planting them so deep? Uh, it works. I like them down there. It protects them. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. It's just what I do. I plant everything deep. We plant corn three inches deep. We plant beans an inch and a half deep. We plant alfalfa an inch deep. I mean, you're not going to hurt it. We plant clover an inch deep. You're not going to hurt this stuff. Um, some of the things we've been told just always aren't aren't quite right. But 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 don't take my word for this stuff. You've got to you got to do your own testing. Of course, John, you're you're close to me, so you know you can you can probably do what we do and be okay. But if you're in Arkansas, it's different. If you're in northern Minnesota, it's different. So make it work in your context and, and make it work on your farm. Great questions. Thank, thank you, John. Uh, Paul Thomas, Paul, how you doing? 
suggestion for controlling uh, perennial oh per, uh, ryegrass two years post planting. Ooh. Um, Paul, I, I I think you're talking about annual ryegrass. I think is what you're trying to talk about. Or, oh, maybe you're saying Italian, perennial Italian ryegrass. Um, that's, that's hard, Paul. Um, you're, I don't know as though you can without, without chemicals or without tillage. I, that's like annual ryegrass. I don't, I wish we could plant it. it. If you are a cattleman or a dairyman and you're making uh, forage cocktails and you're, you're trying to get away from pure alfalfa, which by the way, a lot of these dairies are, they're trying to move away from some, they're trying to go with forage packages, which I'm trying to, I'm getting ours ever so close to doing this. Um, um, then, you know, I would have annual ryegrass in that cocktail if, and I'd have Italian ryegrass in there if I had a way to control it and I don't, so I don't use them. So you got to be careful here, but, but Paul, I think this parish will kill it. So keep an eye out for this parish or bio or, um, uh, what's the, what's the other one called? Um, oh shoot. I just forgot the name. I'll think of it in a minute. There's another biggie company out there that that's, that's got a, a product and, and, I think that's going to be the way to clean some of these fields up, Paul. And I think the I think the grazers are going to like this stuff because the grazers are probably getting a lot of perennial weeds as well. I imagine fescues creeping in, um, cheat grass, whatever, whatever, whatever you've got in your area is probably creeping in. Go out, spray these fields with this with this biological reset and then replant what you want out there and start over. I, I, I think this is going to be a big deal. And I think a lot of guys are going to, are going to use this stuff. Um, there's another company. I'm, I'm just trying to help everybody here the best I can. Uh, what's that guy's name? Frank. Uh, let me look up Frank here real quick and get his name of his company. Um, What is it? Organic uh, contact organics. That's another one. It's not Omri approved, but it is a biological contact organics. Their phones are going to ring off the wall tomorrow. But anyway, that's good. Uh, Paul, thanks for the question. Um, Kevin, what are the rates of peas per acre to plant? Okay, great question. I'm sorry I didn't talk about that. Um, um we planted the wheat at 1.3 million seeds per acre so whatever that that's going to be what a uh, 100 pounds roughly an acre I, I don't know i'm just doing a quick math there 1.3 million seeds per acre and we planted the survivor peas at 50 pounds that's that's enough that's plenty. 50. It gets a little pricey. Um, but there's no inputs here. Zero. So um, that's that's what we did. Hopefully that answers your question. And the wheat was planted in like um, 
October the 5th and the, the peas were planted, or no, wheat was planted more like October the 18th and the peas were planted on December the 5th. So we were planting into about four or five inch tall wheat when we planted the peas. And we, we drilled the peas with the, with the uh, air seeder. We drilled the wheat with the air seeder. We drilled the peas with the air seeder. Um, yeah, and Joe had a question about pH up here. Let me, uh, I, I think I, I went over Joe. Hang on just a second. I know Rachel put it there. Uh, where did I miss the, uh, okay. Well, that's fine. He was talking about pH. Um, Joe has a great question regarding water pH for the parish up and in a little ways. Yeah. Um, thanks for putting all this in there in the chat, Rachel. This is awesome. Thank you. Um, the pH of your water needs to be down below five. And if if I was going out with any bi biology at all, anything, whether it's parish or whatever, I would get the pH of the water below five, as close to four as you can get it. Citric acid is the way we do it. It's an organically OMRE approved product, the one we've got. Um, it's citric acid. Our water is pretty hard and pretty nasty. If we're gonna stay on this route, um, and you know, like like Deanna's on here tonight, and we we've had her on the podcast. Uh, she's doing her own indigenous um, biology, and then they're doing it as a seed treatment. I'm I'm pretty sure that they're making sure their water's in good shape. It's very important here. So, yeah, the the pH we've got to get it to five, and four would be better. Uh, whatever way you got to do it, and. Um, you know what? I don't. I don't know if Rachel, if you remember the net, that la, the the one pH sensor that I asked you to order. That one works great. I don't know. I don't know the name of it. I don't know if you remember the name of it. If you do, could you toss it in the chat here? But you just stick it in the water, and it gives you an instantaneous read on the pH. It, it's that's the one you want. Uh, we'll put it out on social media or something, but. Um, uh, it's 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 really slick and, and it's it's you know when you first go to the store and uh, there you go she just put the Amazon link on there when you first go to the store and you look for a pH meter it's the one of those pool kits that you get and it's got the litmus paper and all no you don't no, no forget all that get this thing here and you stick it in there and boom it gives you a pH reading instantaneous um, yeah, there you go. Rachel already had already had all that in there. Uh, perfect. It was thirty-one bucks. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Um, okay. Any other questions while while we're 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 rolling here? This is great. Um, I love all these questions. Um, it's not too late, guys. I know. I know it's getting cold. Deanna's got snow. I I know all that, and I'm sure her snow's going to melt. The first one, I doubt if it stays all the time through the, from now until April. I'm sure it's going to melt off, and then there'll be another one come. But there's still time to get peas in the ground. There's still time to think about frost seeding, and and you got to get this stuff bought because clovers and vetches will run out, and 
and and since I'm kind of talking up products here again I, I don't I'm not associated to anyone here I try to pass along what we've tried and what works the very vets that I like is the stuff that Steve Groff helped develop um, uh, uh, oh shoot I just forgot the name of it uh, somebody on here help me out uh, it's a winter winter something or uh, I'll think of it but um, winter king I think is something like winter king that's the one that we like to use. It's, it's, it's probably the most winter hardy uh, vetch that we've ever planted. It's got great, great germination. We frost seed it or we'll put it out there in August. Uh, we've got a beautiful field of, of cover. I mean, we got radishes now that are two feet long and, and four inches around. And, and we've got vetch and clover growing. Uh, we put some sunflower in there, some sun hemp. It's, it's just a beautiful thing, and, and, and that's going to be a, a cornfield next spring. So, um, vetch, and that, you know, if you really want to knock it out of the park with legumes, we've got to get this stuff in the ground no less than 45 days before a freeze or a snow event. And that's hard. The only way you're going to do it in a lot of locations is plant a cereal grain and do not double crop anything behind it and get on your legume package then. That's really the ideal time to do it. And and I'm telling you, man, you do that and you come you come out next spring and you wait till after Mother's Day, you will have 14,000. You're going to have so much biomass, you're not going to know what to do with it all. And that's a good thing. You're going to have 14,000 pounds of biomass. And we're going to experiment. We're still experimenting on this slicing idea I've got. I'm not calling this tillage. You're going to set the vertical tillage tool down to the ground and set your stop. You're not going to move any soil. And you're going to slice all of this legume package into pieces. Then you're going to wait two days and come back and no-till corn through that. I, I, I think it's going to be beautiful. The, the breakdown is going to be way quicker than a roller crimper and we've still got a mat to suppress weeds. I, I think it's going to be beautiful and we're going to, we're still playing with it. I hate to talk too much about it because I don't want people to get too excited about it. I like to test things for a couple years before we really talk about it, but that's okay. Um, I think this is going to be good. And again, this is not tillage. We're not moving any soil. This is slicing the legume package into pieces. Okay, Joe, shift gears. Have you used any winter camelina in your operation? No, but I know about it and I need to. Um, I spoke at South Dakota last summer and there was a lady there and I don't remember her name. I probably got her on my phone. And you, the, you guys on the call probably know who she is. She's at, at um, North Dakota State University, NDSU. And she, I guess, is like the queen of Camelina. And she's a, she's a uh, I don't know if she's an extension agent or if she's a professor. I'm not sure. I think she's a professor at NDSU. And um, uh, she told me all about this Camelina and we have got to get it started in our operation. I'm just scared. I'm scared that 
we're going to have volunteer and, and, and what are we going to do with the volunteer that grows? That's what I'm worried about. So we need to try it on 20 acres and see what happens because if this parish product really does work, then we can get a little more crazy. I could bring, um, I'd love to bring canola back into the rotation of a cover crop species, but I, I don't, I can't because canola is wicked on corn and milo, the volunteer of it is. So we do not plant, or rape, whatever you want to call it, we do not plant that as much as I would love to. We don't plant any of that stuff because I cannot control or, or mitigate the volunteers. And that, that can be a problem. Uh, chicory, oh my gosh, the chicory in some of these fields is getting outrageous. So um, as much as I hate to do it, we're going to spray some of this parish. And we've got to slow some of these perennials down. We just have to. Thanks for the question. Um, let's see here. Uh, Paul again, winter annuals, how to control in wheat or, or triticale? Um, you mean like, uh, like uh, fall panicum and, and um, uh, my brain tonight's not working very good. I can't think of the other one. But, but Paul, if, if that's what you're talking about, then um, you can control that stuff with the cereal grain. And again, I can't say control. You can suppress it greatly. We don't have any issues with those with those fall those fall weeds. None. All of our neighbors are out spraying, and and I can't believe the amount of people that are tilling bean stubble this year. It's unbelievable. I don't get it. But we don't have any of those issues because we have a thick, good stand of a cereal grain or a cocktail of some sort growing. So I would I would unless I'm not understanding your question, Paul. That's how we take care of the annuals, the, the winter annuals. Um, Kevin, tell about your controlling trees. We struggle with trees in a chemistry no-till program. Yeah, I know. Now, Kevin, for right now, the way we're and controlling, again, we can't use that word because it's too strong of a word, but I know what you mean. Right now, for what we're doing now is we are we're mowing them off with the sickle bar of the grain table because we're either out there cutting a cereal grain or we're cutting soybeans or or milo so or if we're not doing that we're using the flail chopper to mow down uh, a cover crop mix ahead of corn because i like doing that too instead of the slicing pass on the massive uh, legume package flail chop about three inches off the ground and just shred everything wait two or three days and then come back in and no-till right through that and then by the time the corn comes out of the ground you see all that legume is brown turning brown so the corn doesn't care corn does not like to see anything else green around i know that's weird but corn knows when there's not another corn plant around it and it does not like it and it will just it's a wimp if I'm telling you, if you have volunteer rape and you plant corn, forget about it. There won't be a corn crop. It'll take it. The rape will take it. 
So we have to be very careful what we're putting this corn into, what environment we're putting it into. Um, Benjamin, um, oh yes, that's her, Marisol, that's her, thank you. That's the woman, thank you, Benjamin. He's got it right there in, in the, the chat. Marisol Bertie, I think I pronounced her name right, Bertie. Uh, she is the, uh, the Camelina expert. I got to visit with her for about an hour. Uh, I need at least two more hours with her, but uh, yes, I like diversity. I love diversity and Camelina would be a great addition to the farm. I really think so. Um, Jay, what is the row spacing for Milo and population? Great question. We've did it two ways. We did the seven and a half inch row spacing at seven pounds to the acre. Guys, forget about corn. We're talking, this stuff is like, let's just make easy math here. $1.50 a pound, let's say. Now, let's just make it, I think it's actually $1.70. Let's just make it $2 a pound. Two. That's what the seed's going to cost you. You put on seven pounds to the acre, which is too much. You put on seven pounds to the acre, that's $14 an acre of investment in seed cost. And the stuff will absolutely crank. It may not be quite the amount of tonnage that corn will be, but it'll be darn close. Now, we also planted Milo with our, we got some Milo plates and we planted with our 20 inch row uh, John Deere DB60. And we planted that at six pounds to the acre and it was still too much. They want you to plant between four and five pounds. I mean, this is hard to do. This is hard to go out in a field and plant four pounds of a cash crop that you're going to harvest in 90 days or, or 70 days. But I'm telling you, the less you put out, the more tillers that come off and the field just explodes and you got heads everywhere. So this is one of those instances where more is not better. Less is better here. So four to five pounds. I kept the rate the same, whether it was seven and a half or, or 20 inch row. I really like the looks of the 20 inch row. That stuff really, it really grew well. And, and remember I told you we had a crappy ending to the year. We didn't get any rain. I mean, we harvested the wheat and planted this Milo on July 19th and it, it didn't see an inch of rain. So I'm still very pleased with it. Very pleased. Um, you are flail, flail chopping the peas before the corn. Yes, we have sometimes, John. Um, I just, you know, I love the roll of crimper. Don't, don't get me wrong here. I love the roll of crimper. But guys, we have tried two and three passes with this crimper, and you, it's hard to kill 14,000 pounds of biomass with a roll of crimper because the stuff's about about 12 inches thick, that's after you roll it down. So the roller is not even touching anything on the bottom three inches here. So it's very, very difficult to get the clover and the peas to totally terminate in a timely fashion to get your corn to wiggle up through all this. So yes, we have flail chop 
piece and we're going to do the slicing idea. So let's go back to that real quick. Let's assume, let's, okay, let's just stay with you, John. You asked me a few minutes ago, what would you do right now for, for nitrogen for next year? Here you go. After this freeze event, I want you to go get you some cereal rye and I want you to plant 30 pounds of cereal rye. And you can go ahead and plant your peas now too if you want. You just won't quite get them as deep as I get them because I, I plant cereal rye about an inch and a half, inch and a quarter to an inch and a half deep. I mean, it's clear up to my, my, my second knuckle. And that's probably deep enough for the peas. If you want to go out and plant 20 to 30 pounds of cereal rye and 50 pounds of peas, right? Not, if you can do it tomorrow, do it. But after this freeze event, get it done. And then next spring, after Mother's Day, you can call me, text me, whatever you want to do. You know how to get a hold of me. Um, come in and flail chop this all to the ground. Cereal rye, peas, everything flail chop it to the ground and then come in two days later and no-till your corn the rye will not be an issue it may regrow it might regrow but we're talking now uh may 20 i want you to be no no sooner than may 20th doing this you're only about a week to 10 days away from from dropping pollen here so the rye may try to regrow a little bit, but that's okay. If it regrows up the middle of your corn rows, big deal. It'll help suppress weeds. That's what you could do anytime after this next freeze event and get some nitrogen for next year. So you got to get on the horn here and locate some grassland Oregon peas. It may be too late. Or you can go with Keith Burns has got um, Wyoming peas. And then there's the good old traditional Austrian winter pea. We've done all three here. They all three work. I just like the survivor peas better. But they all three will work. Um, when is it harvested? When, let's see, what are you asking me here, Jay? Uh, okay, when's the Milo harvested? Um, the Milo, we actually... We were, we were running out of time here because the wheat was so late coming off of this field. I think I told you it was July 19th. You've got, and again, again, guys, this is why you gotta, you gotta, you gotta scout every field you've got. We're in a, at least one or two fields every single day looking for something. Okay, the intention here was to take the Milo to seed, okay? That's the intention. Now, I know very little about Milo, so I'm not gonna mess around here. I'm going to call people that I know that know more about Milo than I do, and that's what I did. And I, and the, and I talked to two people, and they both said the same thing. Rick, I'm telling you, based on where you're telling me that the growth stage is and the date you got it planted on July 19th and July 20th, you'll never make it to seed. It's going to freeze. And if Milo freezes before uh, it's out of that milk stage, it'll abort the seeds and you are a zero. So I, I decided to call the dairy and I said, look, I've been talking to my experts. They're telling me that if we let this go to grain, we're not, we're gonna, we have the high probability of a zero. 
could you take this as silage? And he said, yeah, we can take, we'll be there in three days. Perfect. So we're at, we're at dough. I mean, you could take a, a seed out and kind of squeeze it and, and right there's the milk. I mean, it, were, it was just almost milk was almost gone. I mean, it was right there. Perfect. So this particular Milo crop, uh, Jay, was taken as silage. And I, I don't have the results back, so I don't know what, what it did. I don't know what the TDN was. I don't know much of anything on it. I just know that it, for no more rain than it had, and that's the other reason why I like Milo. It needs a third of the rain. It needs a third of the nutrients of corn. It's just, it's just a third of everything. I mean, except for the price. The price is insanely cheap. I mean, we've get, we got invested um, 12, $12 to $15 an acre in seed, 20 bucks an acre to plant it. So uh, $35 an acre, and they took it as silage. So now, the if you're going to do this, you back yourself into a corner. Remember, everything we do has unintended consequences, everything. So the unintended consequence here is that you now have no choice but to plant a cereal grain after this Milo was taken away as silage. That's the only choice you got. It's too late. You can't do sorghum Sudan. You can't do clovers and vetches. I mean, this stuff was just taken off October the 20th. It's too late in Indiana to do anything else. So if you're willing to do that, which I am because I know that's a monoculture, but I'm going to go right to soybeans and these, this rye, this will not grow together with the beans. This rye will be rolled down and then we're going to do it our old fashioned way. And then the beans will come right up through that rolled down rye. So it kind of goes back to one of my beginning questions here about what's our rotation look like. It's very difficult at times for me to explain this. I know, I hope people don't think I'm being evasive, but it just changes all the time, depending on the weather, what's available, who calls me. I mean, you know, I get a call from Keith Burns. Hey, Rick, can you raise 500 acres of buckwheat? Do you have any, any, any flexibility? Yeah, yeah, come on, let's bring it on, let's go. So um, it's just always a moving, a moving target. Okay, John, John Hume again. I have volunteer rye in the soybean field I just cut. I guess it'd be, I guess it to be around that 30 pound rate. I will call tomorrow and find some peas. Perfect. There you go. Yeah, see, you've already got the volunteer rye out there get the peas into that and, and let the big dog eat. And you've already saved a bunch of money. So great idea, John, there you go. Kevin, we have curly dock that is a new problem due to manure, yep. Do you have any experience controlling it in your system? Oh my God, this is, this is one of those ones you don't want. This is like bindweed. You get bindweed, oh, or uh, some people call it morning glory. Again, Kevin, I, I don't, I do not have any answers for this. The, the, the manure is a double-edged sword, man. The manure is bringing you a lot of feed for the, for the soil, but it's also probably killing microbes. 
and it's bringing you a plethora of wheat seed. Believe me, I know all about it. Um, again, I'm going to have to probably resort to this Parish product. Um, I wish I could think of the name of the other one. I, I can see it. I just cannot pull the name out of out of out of my hat here. Uh, but that's one of those ones, also, Kevin, that I don't know a lot about it. I'd have to research it. But you need to change the trigger times of that of that plant. So what I mean by that is change your crops you're planting, the rotations you're planting. Have crops mature in the summertime instead of the fall and see if you can't throw it a curveball and, and get it out of step and then smother it with a with a cover crop. But again, I don't know a lot about curly dock. I, I don't I don't know a lot about it, but I get calls on that and I get calls on like cheat grass and there's some grass and Deanna may know what this is called. There's some grass out west in Colorado. Uh, that comes in. I can't. I can't remember what it's called, and it just sounds horrible. Um, and tillage won't take care of it. Uh, so maybe this Parish product will. Um, and there are other ones out there. I think I said Contact Organics. Uh, again, I don't have phone numbers. That just just Google them, and it's so easy to get in touch with these people anymore. Um, I don't want to become dependent on these products. I'll tell you that right now. But I think in, in instances where we have to be good stewards to the land and having an outbreak of Canada thistle, which is a noxious weed. I'm, I'm sure it's a noxious weed in every state. It's a noxious weed in Indiana. I'm assuming it's a noxious weed in every state. You, to be a good steward, you, can't, you just can't let that stuff go rampant. So if it's going to require a pass of parish at 60 70 bucks an acre so be it and then reset and start over so that's kind of what we're we're experimenting with on on small scale here and and i and as as everyone knows i'm organic we're or the farm here is organic certified so we can only use products that are omri approved this one's approved uh, it may not be approved in every state. Um, Indiana is a little, a little tricky here. It is approved in Illinois, and I think it's approved in Iowa. Uh, and I'm talking for organic now. And Indiana's got um, a provision in there where uh, if you've tried everything that you possibly can and you still haven't had success, then you are allowed to, to use this product. So that's where we are. And Kevin, I, I would imagine that Curly Doc's going to be in that same that same camp. Um, and you know, the the other advice I have for you is, if you've only got it in one field, make sure you keep it in one field. Um, you know, get get the sprayer out and spray off your combines. And I mean, that's what we did to these fields that we've got things in them that we don't want to spread. So it's just a whole different ball game when you take chemistry and tillage out of the equation you're, you're just your mindset is totally different you're thinking about different things now um cheat is is the in the midwest is likely a wood oh woolly barley okay yeah that sounds familiar woolly barley yeah and that i understand is just intense to get rid of uh, elijah love that name elijah 
Thank your parents for that. What do you recommend for buttonweeds quickly growing in a newly planted pasture in Delphi, Indiana? You mean like right now? You mean, Elijah? You just established the, um, the pasture uh, yet this fall and the uh, velvet leaf is coming right now. Um, I wouldn't worry about it because it's about ready to get killed by the, by the frost. Yeah, it's happening right now. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, the, the, the freeze that's coming next week will crush them. They won't make any seed. Um, yeah, it'll be all right. You plant it five weeks, it'll be okay. Actually, it's a good thing because you just, you're just getting ready to eliminate a flush of, of, uh, of the velvet leaf weed seed. So, um, did you do a little bit of tillage there, Elijah? Is that why the button weeds came? Yeah, did, did you notice, did grass come with it? Did fox, I bet you got foxtail out there, right? Yeah, he said he tilled lightly. It doesn't matter. It's all, all those seeds are, are laying right there. Yep, grass did. I'm telling you, man, when we till a field, you might as well just, you can just bank on an explosion of weeds, an absolute explosion. So again, I don't want to be dependent on these biochemicals, but Elijah, here's an example of what I'm talking about. You had a field or you, uh, you had a, an area that you wanted to establish into a pasture. So in the future, instead of uh, tilling, let's go in there and reset with parish and then come in and no-till plant whatever your cocktail was, and you're going to greatly reduce the odds of a buttonweed, a giant ragweed, a mare's tail, and a foxtail outbreak. But Here's the other thing you got to remember. It's probably also a good thing because I never thought about this until I researched it. Foxtail is an annual. It's not a perennial. See, I just had, I was just thinking, foxtail's got to be a perennial. No, no. That seed germinates. It's an annual. So you're getting ready to crush the whole first flush. Next week is going to be wiped out. Your foxtail will be dead. Your buttonweeds will be dead. Anything else that's coming, it's all going to be dead, and those seeds are gone. You don't have to worry about them. So unintended consequences, they're not always bad things. Sometimes they're good things. So um, that's, that's, that's great. But, but tillage, uh, got it. We have much more pasture to come and, and experiment with that. Yeah. Um, are, Elijah, are you guys, are you folks uh, organic? Uh, not certified yet. Okay. You know, even if you weren't and you're trying to get, I mean, just because you're not organic doesn't mean you, 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 you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spray Roundup. Well, let's try to get away from all these harmful products. Now, again, there's not a lot of research done, but this stuff is extracted mint oil. The processes of extraction have, have been approved by Omri. So you have to trust that there's nothing harmful here to humans. Uh, there's obviously going to be research done on this, but even if you are not organic and you're non-GMO, let's say, and you want to get away from Roundup, then switch to one of these biochemicals and just totally eliminate um, Roundup from your equation. 
And I would also add a humic acid to this, these biological products. You know, check with the manufacturer, but I'd put some kind of, some amount of humic acid in there with it. It's just, it's just too good of a, of a, of a product to not have in there. It is our first year of no traditional row crops. There you go. Well, good luck. Congratulations. Um, Delphi, that's where my son-in-law Eric is from. Uh, he married uh, my beautiful daughter, Rachel. Uh, so you maybe you know who he is. I, I don't know, but uh, it's Eric Carpenter. So um, could you address other weed control measures? This is from Kevin. Uh, could you address other weed control measures like the weed zapper and the Romo or others, even a minimum disturbance cultivator? Yeah, you know, I'm going to do a, um, I, I need to do a podcast here soon of all the cool technology that I'm aware of that's out there. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to briefly touch on some of this now. Yes, we do use a weed zapper. We don't use the Romo anymore. Um, I think we could bring it back, but we just, we just haven't done it yet. But there is some really cool technology coming out there. There's this light technology coming. Um, Global Neighbor is the name of that company. He has figured out what parts of the light spectrum uh to use uses it to kill weeds and he also uses it to kill weed seed i mean this is insane so um you put one of these light bars in the back of your combine coming right off the straw walker and any any weed seed that you just brought into the combine is going to get hit with this light and it sterilizes the seed and the weed seed goes out the back of your combine and it's not viable there's no more weed seed being laid down on all these fields. That is huge. This might be the way to finally get ahead of water hemp because there's always, even in the most perfectly sprayed fields, there's one or two plants out there and more than likely those one or two plants that survived are, guess what, resistant to Roundup and now you could have a light bar that could kill those seeds as they come out the back of the combine. And I don't know why you couldn't rig up, Kevin, a row cultivator and kill weeds with light as you're cultivating through the field with zero disturbance to the ground. I, I you know, I know you gotta do what you gotta do. I'm, I'm not here to, um, put anybody down. I'm not here to criticize the way anybody farms. I, I only try to tell you what we do on this farm, what works, what doesn't work, what we're working on. And I'm telling you, if you want a weed problem, you till. If you want a really bad weed problem, you shallow till, like vertical tillage. Because all those bad weeds are laying right there in that top one inch to inch and a half and every single time we go out and think we're not going to do much harm and we do a little light tillage of one inch deep it is an absolute explosion of foxtail and giant ragweed and mare's tail and everything so i know you got you have to do what you have to i get it but if at all cost 
avoid tillage because it's also just wiping out your microbial network. I mean, you're just crushing them. It'd be like a tornado coming through your property and, and knocking everything down. And then you gotta, you gotta take time to rebuild it all. And while you're rebuilding it all, you're extremely inefficient in anything else that you're trying to do. And that's the same thing that's going on with the microbes. If you're tearing them down with tillage, how in the world are they doing anything toward building soil health? Because all they're doing is rebuilding their home just in time to get it tore down again. So, I, I, yes, we do a little bit of tillage occasionally. I hate it, but we're doing it for reasons that I don't know how else to try and suppress an end or a, a perennial weed problem. I'm hoping the parish is as good as advertised. Now, I don't want it to become the crutch, but I, I sure think we can use it to be the reset. Hey, look at, look at our system here. A lot of our fields are 14 and 15 years no-till now. And all of our fields are nine years with no chemistry. So now you take that combination of nine years of no chemistry with all that no-till, and we are just now in the ninth year starting to see perennial weed problems, I'm okay spraying perish once every nine years. If that's what it's gonna to take to reset everything and do it again. So that's how I look at it. I don't look at this as, okay, send me two semi loads of perish uh, and, and do the same thing again next year. No, that's not what I'm trying to do here. We're trying to only use these products as a reset because we've got situations that I cannot figure out how to combat through cover crops and crop rotation. I mean, it's one thing to have candida thistle in your field, but my gosh, if you want to talk about allopathy, that product has, or that species has it because nothing else grows. You could plant 130 pounds of cereal rye right through a, uh, a Canada thistle patch and there won't be one one seed grow and then all the way you know how Canada thistle grows it grows in big circles and all the way around that circle is a beautiful stand of cereal rye but there's not one plant inside that circle that is nuts if you want to talk about allopathy somebody needs to be testing that and figure out how do we use that natural product to become the the predator out here and take care of everything and someone also told me and i didn't know this someone also told me that um, milo does the same thing at a certain point in milo's life it puts out an allopath an allopathy that will actually kill weeds okay then let's harvest that milo at that right time and let's um, extract the juices out of that Milo plant and capture whatever this natural product is and use that to spray on the fields. These are things, I mean, I get these ideas, I don't know who to take them to, but those two, I, somebody needs to be testing the Canada thistle and see why is it such a great stop of anything to, I mean, there's not, there, there are no weeds even growing in these circles. So somebody needs to be testing 
and I, I guess I'll do it. I'm gonna I'll I'll pull some some uh, some plants out of the ground. We'll dig those rhizomes out, and I'll send it to biome makers and have them tell tell me what's in it. And we'll talk about that next week when they're on. Um, can you control the foxtail and beans with the weed zapper? Kind of. Um, the problem with foxtail is it, it, it's pretty smart and it only is growing to the height of the soybean. So you can't touch the bean with the zapper or you're going to kill the bean. But, but to answer your question, yes, if you could get foxtail high enough, you can slow it down. I don't know if you're going to kill it, but you will slow it down and you may keep it from going to seed but it still is going to be there come harvest time. So the zapper is good and it's bad. And, and the, and for me guys, the jury is still out on the zapper. I, I don't know. I mean, you got to think that you're killing biology here because you've got two discs blades in the ground that are the ground and you've got a, a current hitting a plant out in front of you. you there's got to be, electricity traveling from the ground to that plant that just arced electricity. And don't you think we're killing the microbes all the way through that, that line of contact? I, I don't know, but I, I do know this. When I was running the zapper once and I hit a big patch of weeds, I got out and I dug in the ground and the earthworms were still alive uh, even two or three minutes after this event so at least it didn't kill the earthworms did it kill the biology i i don't know i i didn't take anything to my microscope and check it out i should have but anyways maybe someone else can answer that maybe someone's done that test i mean guys if you just think about it we could come up with 25 tests that we could be running right now on all kinds of things and you've got to think like we try to do eight six or eight tests on this farm every year trying to figure some of these things out because I just don't know, I don't know who to call on these things. Uh, Aaron Stark, uh, how would you suggest to convert a fescue pasture CRP to organic no-till in North Missouri? Oh my gosh, fescue, man. This, you gotta get a, you gotta get this, um, Aaron, you gotta get this, this biological chemical. You gotta perish uh, or, or uh, you know, that's the only one I know of that's OMRI approved. Um, in, no, in, but in Missouri, there's another one, um, um, what's the, oh man, uh, I almost got it. There's, there's, uh, Parrish and then there's, uh, Demise. Um, how does he spell that? I don't know how, you're going to have to Google that one, Demise. I think it's D-A-M-I-Z-E maybe. That's another one, but again, you've got to check with your certifying company and see if it's approved. I think it is approved in Missouri. I think so, but don't quote me on that. But I'm telling you, Aaron, I, I don't. You can't mess around. Fescue is another one of those species that just absolutely swallows anything up. We had buckwheat planted in a field, a beautiful field of buckwheat, and there's little patches of fescue out there. And I didn't harvest this field. Eric did the other night. And Eric told me that wherever there was a patch of fescue, there was zero buckwheat. Zero. And then you get out of the fescue, and here comes the beautiful stand of buckwheat again. 
So these are things you can't mess around with because they will suffocate and crush anything you plant in there. So find one of these biological chemicals. I know it's pricey. It might, it could be upwards of a hundred dollars an acre, um, but it's worth it. If you can, if you can hit the reset button and start over and fescue is one of those, I, you don't mess around with fescue because it, it's there, it's there to stay for a long time unless you can, you can kill it. And I, I think the parish will kill it. Matter of fact, uh, Ray Arch, a good friend of mine, Ray Archuleta told me the other day that he's, he, uh, used some, some of these biochemicals and it is killing fescue and he's in Missouri. He's probably, he's probably close to you, Aaron, at least in the, in the, in the same neck of the woods. So that would be my suggestion. Uh, John Hume, are you doing anything with open pollinated corn and epigenetics? You know, I did not this year, John. Um, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I hated it. But yes, we will be back to the open pollinator corn. Um, I'm looking, what I'm trying to find, and the reason why I didn't plant any is it really wasn't my fault. I thought I had some 105 day open genetic corn found because the problem with open genet or open pollinator corn is almost all these genetics are like 114 or 116 day corn. That's a long time for uh, planting corn on June the 1st in Indiana. It'll never make a freeze. So I thought I had some 105 day bought and the guy told me that it didn't pass germ test and he, he wouldn't sell it to me. So I had to punt because it was too late in season and that's why we didn't wind up with any any open pollinated corn. I hated it, but we will be back on that again and continue to work with the epigenetics on <clears throat> open pollinated corn. Thank you. Demise. Yeah, I, 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 I is that how you spell it, Rachel? I, I don't know. That's uh, that's Peter. Uh, is that is that's the product? So I've given you three. Again, don't take my word for any of this. You've got to check with your certifying company if you're organic and verify that these are, are approved for your location and then try it you know try it on 40 acres see what happens that's not going to kill anybody 40 acres at 100 bucks an acre four grand and see what happens so well, that's about all I've got for tonight. This has been, this is what I like about Q&A, guys. I didn't have to talk about anything. We talked about what you wanted to talk about. So thank you. And, and we'll do this again. And remember next week is Biomakers. You're gonna love it. They're, it's fascinating what they're doing. It's, it's just insane. I mean, I'm gonna let them talk about it, but I mean, you know, if 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 the bio, if the microbial biome is this much we know about you about the width of one of my hairs in my head is about all we know 0.0001% it's unbelievable so anyway that's next week thank you uh Lou Myla was on you were quiet tonight Lou Myla thanks for thanks for coming on though appreciate it everybody have a great weekend and be safe and we'll see you next week.
Thank, thank you very much. Bye-bye.